I remember going to see a therapist and I just sort of put my toe into the world of dating. She was like, well, why, you know, why do you only feel complete if someone loves you? Why do you need that validation? I found it incredibly useful, if slightly painful. Hello and welcome to Two Women Chatting. I'm Michelle. And I'm Liz. And we joined Weight Watchers. We did. All our talks about, well, my talk about just do it naturally, you know, just, no, it didn't work. No, I need some accountability, some structure. So Liz and I trotted off to our first Weight Watchers meeting last week. Mm. Trotted being the word. (laughs) And uh, we wore our heaviest clothes, had our biggest breakfast, put stones in our pockets, (laughs) hoping to see a bit of a... Bit of a weight loss this week, aren't we, on weigh-in day? Oh, we've got to be. I mean, honestly, what, do you know the reason why I wanted to go and made you come with me? Why? I, I'm going on holiday in a few weeks. I tried some of my summer clothes on. The only thing I can fit into is my shoes. Oh, no, no. It's awful. Oh. I mean, how did that happen? In I think it's know. winter weight. I think oh, it's comfort like that, yeah. eating through the winter. I think basically I should have hibernated. <laughs> but what I do is I, I, I do the eating and the hibernating. Uh, it's just not fair. No, no. All right. Well, wait, no. you know, we're really committed to this. And so far, so good. Well, we have to be because we told everyone. I know. That's the most embarrassing thing <laughs> in the world. But that's the way to do it because it's, you know, you, we're... we're yeah. I can't tell you how many people have said, oh, I heard you joined Weight Watchers. <laughs> that's really great. Yeah, thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's, it, as you said, we're accountable to someone. It's ourselves, of course, but now we're accountable to Natalie. Oh, yeah, watchers. Natalie of Weight Watchers. Yeah, yeah so, uh, all right, well, we'll, we'll keep everybody yeah. informed on but how we do. But we're doing it for ourselves, for no one else. It's not for my husband. I'm doing this for myself. You yeah. Know? So, yeah. yeah. My husband doesn't care <laughs> if I lose weight. Do you know what's really annoying, though? He's on a diet mm. and he's lost 20 pounds. Mm, he's careless so yeah. <laughs> i hope he finds it <laughs> but he's so disciplined men i think are so disciplined about going into any kind of health endeavor aren't well, they they just seem to be more committed yeah they yeah. just yeah i get yeah, sidetracked like... very easily very easily <laughs> it's like oh cream cake i'll have that yeah how many points is that yeah. i don't get that point system as i said I, I, it's me and the technology Oh, uh, doing it on an app. Yeah, and until you told me I could actually scan, I went, oh, that makes sense. Yeah, but no, they don't, it's what, quite you know, easy. Yeah, but well, I'm not, mm, I'll try it, yeah. I'm just approximate weights. Well. <laughs> Let's see what happens next week. Let's see who loses the most weight, Liz. Have we got a prize who win? Uh, it's not that having, competitive, but on certain things I, I think be. it's having nice holiday photos is the prize that oh, we can look gosh, back on and always yeah. feel happy. Oh, excellent, yeah. Yeah, so Valentine's Day was the other week and it got me thinking, we don't really make much of Valentine's Day. In fact, I really hate the whole commercialisation of it and and exploitation of, of people buying roses at stupid prices. We always send each other cards and have a meal together and it's really nice. But it made me think about others who are not in that situation, who are solo or they've got over you know, being with somebody or they've, they're feeling rejected. It's, it's like quite a magnifying glass on your feelings on that day. And it reminded me of a book that I'd seen by Rosie Green called How to Heal a Broken Heart. And I was thinking that, you know, pretty much everybody has experienced heartbreak in one way or another, haven't they? Whether it's in your teenage years or, you know, in your 20s. But the older you get and the longer those relationships have lasted for, 
the more entanglement, the more rejection you might feel. And, you know, you're breaking up decades later. It must be so devastating on a different scale because kids, mm. houses, bank accounts, jobs, families that you've known. Um, and also, you know, the friends who then have to, like, choose, choose, they, choose they, which yeah. side. Mm. God, it's so awful and so tricky. But I got in touch with Rosie and she's going to join us now to tell us a bit more about how this book came apart. And what I liked about it in particular was it's not a bitter, she doesn't even refer to her ex-husband by name, in fact. And she's very cognizant of the fact that her children will probably read it one day. And it's really optimistic and funny in lots of places. So let's say hi to Rosie. Rosie Green is an award-winning journalist who writes a weekly column in the Mail on Sunday. Um, she's a relationships expert on ITV's This Morning and was a beauty director for 20 years for glossy magazines L and Red. I always wear a messy T-shirt when we talk to beauty people. <laughs> I hate that. Side note, used to be Trini and Susanna's assistant. Oh, that sounds so good. But when her husband walked out after 26 years together, it came as a complete shock. And as writers tend to do... She helped her healing process by writing a book which has become a brilliantly honest handbook to the Broken Hearts Club and a guide to women to heal faster and, and move on, along with dipping her toe into the online dating world, which perhaps we'll get her on another time to chat about. And The Times has called her the poster girl for divorce. Welcome, Rosie Green. Well, thank you very much for having me. I'm very happy to be here. It's lovely to have you. It really is. Um, gosh, your book, despite all the like the happy green and pink on the outside, it is brutally honest, isn't it? Without actually being bitter, which I liked. It's so readable. Can you paint a picture of, of how what happened and how you got into writing this book? Well, I've always written. And so I went, you know, I started my career in magazines and um, I mainly wrote about beauty, but I quite often wrote about other things. And, you know, I, I sort of pri prided myself on my honesty. And I wrote a column for a long time for Red, which was all about kind of young family life. It was called Life's Rosie. And it was about, you know, having you know, young kids and the car being stuck together with raisins and kind of, you know, yogurt everywhere and, you know, the, the stuff we can all remember. And so I, I, I'd written this very honest, um, this very honest column, but, you know, hopefully it was funny and it was relatable. And so when my marriage collapsed, as you described, um, I, you know, I was really, really struggling and I didn't know how to deal with it. And I thought, well, actually, the only thing really I can do is write. I'd always written my way through all the kind of problems that any problems I'd had, dodgy pelvic floor, I'll write a feature on it, you know, um, you know, rosacea skin, I'll write a feature on it. And that's how I learned. So I thought, well, this is the way that I'm I'm going to get through this. But it's very exposing because I didn't know how he would react. I didn't know how the wider, you know, public I mean that sound, makes it sound grander than I am but you know it did it felt scary how did he react well he didn't react at all which is brilliant he so, ghosted um, you damn it he ghosted, yeah so I think you know he he got used to being written about and I mean he did make a few comments initially but I think it was like part of his life I think he really he he sort of he lived with it for so long that he kind of he didn't really react to it thank god it. and actually yeah and the thing is like 
uh, you know someone so well. So I knew him so well. So I said to my publishers, you know, I don't think he will react to that. And I deliberately didn't talk about some of the, you know, some of the things that had happened. And, and you know, there were various sort of, there were various things that I couldn't talk about or be but totally honest about. Did you want him to react? Uh, n- no, I didn't want him to react to that. I wanted him to react to other stuff. Like I wanted him to react when it all happened. And I said, please don't go. Or, you know, maybe, uh, you know, maybe there was a part of me when, you know, when it was all going wrong, when I was like, you know, can you see me, you know, being successful or being, you know, looking pretty in this picture, all of those kind of things. But I didn't, I didn't want him to react to that to the the first piece that I did, which was for Red, actually, because it I, I was so scared just writing it. I was so scared about what would happen. But I also it was incredibly cathartic. So you know, I can there was imagine. a sort of, yeah. yeah, and it's very brave of you to expose yourself as you say like that, but also to be cognizant that one day your children will likely read that book. So you've always got that at the back of your mind. But I think. The language that you use and and the writing, you're you're a delightful writer. You're really funny. You're just like really cynical, sarcastic, <laughs> my kind of humour, totally. You know, ironically, I was looking at the back of the book and um, you've got lots of wonderful celebrity endorsements, you, you know, tons of people from being in the business as well for so long. And whilst Marion Keyes described your book as book as um, honest and comforting and hopeful. I noticed that Vanessa Feltz also gave you an endorsement. And of course, she's recently hit the headlines with her broken relationship. Um, And she said it was one of the very few books that really describes what a broken heart feels like, which, well, it's quite something, isn't it? It is. I mean, Vanessa and I have become friends, actually. And she, you know, I think she's been so... um, She's been so brave through this recent split and she's such a good, funny, wise, amazing person. And I think, you know, one of the, you know, we, I think we share, both shared a particular kind of breakup. I mean, I think all breakups are tough and they're different. And I've got a lot of friends who've left their husbands. You know, I I know a lot of people who've done the leaving as well as the being left. But I think Vanessa and I shared in the, in the first, her first breakup and my breakup was this total shock like it felt totally out of the blue for both of us and I think also there's an element of so you're dealing with the shock but also you've got someone who who then becomes unrecognizable and both of us experienced that so we bonded over that and I think because my story was very similar to her she really felt you know she really felt she was represented within the book and on those pages Mm. and one of the things that you mentioned right from the start is that you met your husband when you were in university so you never really had dates as such. And you kind of just grew together and grew apart together as well, if you like. What was it that, I mean, I know the answer because I've read your book, but what are the warning signs and what was it that made you think, or, well, I know it was a very pivotal moment, but what are the warning signs that you may have missed and could be a warning sign that other people should look out for? Well, if I mean a warning, the warning signs for infidelity are actually incredibly obvious. It's mm-hmm. like but you just don't want to you don't want to hear them. So the so the very sort of the the basics on those are heavier drinking, in, you know, uh, much more time spent on their appearance, the burner phone, the anger. Weirdly, because you'd think if somebody was being unfaithful, then they would be kind of kinder and guilt and sort of remorseful. But actually, I think the guilt 
becomes it's a lot easier to deal with anger than it is to it's a lot easier to feel anger than it is to feel guilt sort of blame really isn't it it's it's turning it around and blaming you for everything that you're doing wrong that's so irritating and just not hitting the mark and not perfect anymore it's it's classic gaslighting and ghosting isn't it well guess yeah it is and it is yeah (laughs) well i don't really know what (laughs) i didn't really know what gaslighting was until then really and i thought in fact, I feel like I've learned so much about human behaviour from this, but I, I now feel like I know so much more, especially going into the dating thing, which I know we'll talk about another time, but how we as human beings, and, and I don't feel like I'm immune, we will we will sort of turn a narrative around to suit ourselves and to get and to get rid of any guilt and to, to relieve the pressure and things. So yeah, there was definitely an element of that. Like he he would definitely get angrier and angrier. And the more perfect I tried to be, the angrier I was because a, I think that was a sort of way of it dealing with his guilt. But also I think there was a frustration of like, actually, I, I don't want to be here. I want to be off somewhere else. But this is what's stopping me from getting Yeah, you're there. not fitting the narrative anymore. You're not being the whiny, yeah, annoying, exactly. slovenly wife. You're being actually somebody yeah. who's really pretty cool to be with. Yeah. How annoying. But then it, then it became, and Vanessa and I talked about this, both of us did this sort of weird thing where we tried to get more and more and more and more perfect and almost sort of like I kind of put myself on a trial. She says that her ex actually did put her on a trial and, you know, you've got 12 weeks to like, you know, obviously had no intention of her ever passing that she was making kind of cakes and dinners and inviting people around and doing all that stuff and all the while sort of saying how am I doing I mean it was horrendous but to just go back to your previous question so there there are those very obvious signs that someone's cheating but I think actually for me a massive warning I wrote about it in the book was a couple of years before I mean I, I genuinely thought I was super happily married and you know we had a kind of you know we had moments but it didn't seem to be any worse than anybody else's moments but I wrote a piece for Red on the manopause because I noticed I'd obviously noticed that he was getting grumpier. And I interviewed this um, this psychologist and he said to me, uh, it was a guy and he was very interesting. And he said to me, I would be really careful. And he said, because I think if you've got someone who's getting grumpier and grumpier, it seems like they're unhappy, but they're unable to express that. And he said, quite often men will not rewrite the contract they'll get a new contract they'll tear up the old one and get a new one and I remember I remember going out to the garden and asking my husband and saying you know you're grumpy this is what this guy said to me are you upset about something do we need to talk about something and he was like oh no it's fine you know he obviously didn't want to have those conversations on that thing or maybe he wasn't even cognizant of what was going through his mind but that was a real warning actually the grumpiness levels and as you say, like the menopause, that's the subject that I'm really interested in and we want to do a podcast on. But yeah, men go through things that we do. Hormones are changing. They're feeling less, I don't know, sexy, less good looking, less... They're questioning maybe, themselves. Less strong, yeah. I think, as mm. well. And then there's the young guys at work. And I think, you know, as women, we have so many, we, we have so many pressures in, in midlife. I also think they do, you know, it's like the real moment of their careers, isn't it? And then, you know, they've got kids and and quite often, certainly in our scenario, we, you know, you've got two earners and then that becomes almost untenable to have two people working full pelt. So then the onus is on them to kind of keep it coming in. I certainly don't dismiss the pressures of that no their hormones are changing and they're putting on more weight and they're losing their hair (laughs) 
Yeah, but it's not yeah. a picture, isn't it? Yeah, but Fair it's not discussed. Big. It isn't yeah. discussed like it is with women. Yeah, it should. It isn't, no, it should it's be. not. And certainly in my sort of dating escapades, the hair is massive for men, I think. You know, it really is. And, you know, in the same way that we worry about the menopausal middle or the, you know, the hair thing, they genuinely do worry about that a lot, I think. So back to your situation or any other woman who's got their heart broken because their husband has, has left them or their spouse... So first of all, you're dealing with rejection. And even though what you're writing is so terribly sad, you did still make me laugh out loud. (laughs) (laughs) So you tried controlled breathing to sleep, but that was about as effective as a dental colonic on COVID. (laughs) Oh, my God, I can just picture it. I really, really can. But rejection is massive, isn't it? That destroys your ego, your confidence. Yeah, absolutely. And I think still, I mean, I still, it's four years on and we're happy in the house and the kids here and I've got a lovely boyfriend and I've got a great career and all this sort of stuff. But still, there are scars left over from that. And I think, you know, human beings just hate rejection. It's like a kind of tribal thing. It's like you don't want to be pushed out of the group. I mean, I think it's hard to lose a friendship as well. And it's hard if a family member rejects you. But I think there's something about that primary attachment of someone just going, no, thanks. And in a way, I always sort of debate whether it's worse a scenario like mine or whether it whether some really decent partner just saying you know what I think we've reached the end of our you know we've reached the end of our line because in a way then you haven't even got the anger then you've just got pure rejection so and also realizing that actually just because one person doesn't want you doesn't mean that you're unlovable but it's quite it takes a while to get to that point I think one of your friends I was very brutally honest with you her husband died around the same time and she said well at least I knew he loved me yeah, she did. She said, oh, God, that's making me. It was a stab to the heart. I remember, yeah, she she lives locally and she, I don't think she meant it in a horrible way, but it was, I just thought, well, I, in a way, I'd rather, I mean, I don't now, but in a way at that point, I'd rather he'd have died. You know, I wouldn't because of the kids and everything. And I don't know the pain associated with that, but just the the hideousness of, of the kind of him being out in the world, meeting other people and also the optics as well, like just being the left wife. Your earliest chat about, you know, you have to think about the children. I really thought about it from a career point of view because I thought, well, you know, I've had this, you know, magazine sort of sort of built up on kind of aspiration and you're a certain kind of person and you want you want to be honest, but at the same time, you don't want to look tragic, you know. So actually, if I open myself up and go, here I am, you know, the sort of left woman, plus every time I ever meet anyone new, like romantically, are they going to be like, oh, well, he left her, Uh-oh. so, you know, she yeah. must be damaged goods. Are you, you going know? to be like Taylor Swift? Swift and start writing about it in your magazine. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm sure scary. my friends were like, yeah. But talking about kids, you mentioned Mylene yeah. Class in the book, and she was saying, well, you know, I've still got to get up every day. The kids still need recorders. It's still World Book Day, and you still have to be there for the kids because they're looking to you to keep their world as normal in a broken world as possible, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. And I think for me, it was vital that for my recovery that had to keep going. And and absolutely, I was the centre of their world. And they were kind of looking to me because effectively, they'd had this sort of very stable life. And then it had been, then it was blown up, you know, so actually, then we were really, really focused on me. And I think then I was trying to keep strong for them. And I, you know, honestly, I managed that sometimes I didn't manage it other times, you know, so we kind of, we kind of limped through together. For the children, there was so much stuff. While they would sleep in my room and, you know, it was just, we were like this sort of little huddle of uh, broken chicks, basically. 
Oh, gosh. Well, let's move on to something a bit more positive then. Let's look at recovery. What did you do to bring yourself back to the world of the living, to try and, you know, at least put some lippy on in the morning and and get out the house? There's various stages, isn't there, really, um, that have been sort of noted in heartbreak. So what are they and how did you or how would you recommend dealing with them? Well, I think a big one is detachment. That's the one if you've nailed it. You've, it's Indifference. About, yes. And, and, and it's about sort of, well, first of all, I think it's about marginal gains. So it's about that idea of just trying to get through today and maybe doing one or two things that's going to make a difference. I mean, it's about limiting destructive behaviours. So I found that even though having a large glass of wine every night might be tempting, the anxiety levels were, were going to be through the roof if I did that. The stuff that we talk about, you know, that really does work, like the gratitude list, actually, if I, I just thought children are here, they're healthy, I've got a lovely family, I've got lovely friends. So I would think about things like that. And a lot of the kind of stuff that is under the umbrella of self-care now, but actually really small things like a comforting bath or a warm bed and not doing the things that make it worse. As I say, the glass of wine, you know, the 15 glasses of wine or the sort of stalking. So I think that kind of for a while I was sort of, what's he doing? Where is he? You know, and, and actually that stuff kind of feeds itself because the more you look, the more you want to look. And then you go off down these sort of rabbit holes that aren't even true. And then you're stuck in this relationship with the person and they don't even know that you're doing that. But, you know, you're kind of, it's sort of feeding your addiction, really. So it's trying to go cold turkey on that. For me, I, I cannot thank them enough. You know, I've got friends that listened, you know, and I would sort of try to spread it out amongst <laughs> them. So it wasn't one poor friend. Just sort of chewing it over, talking it through, which is why I think women heal much more quickly than men or, or you know, they find their path much more quickly. So you're talking about friends there and spreading it out. Good point, because they I think there comes a point in friendship relationships when both sides are exhausted of talking about it. So you recommend going to get some professional help if you can afford it, if you can find the right people, because at least then it's impartial and you've got 60 minutes to say exactly what you want to say and they can deal with it. Yeah, 100%. I'd never been to therapy before and I'd had some pretty shitty things happen, but I, I hadn't done it. But I just think that unlocking of, you know, sometimes you have that light bulb moment of like, well, why do I think this way? And I remember I remember going to see a therapist and I just sort of put my toe into the world of dating. She was like, well, why, you know, why do you only feel complete if someone loves you? Why do you need that validation? You know, you've got all these people that love you. I found it incredibly useful, if slightly painful. <laughs> Yeah, and you often refer to Sarah Davison, the divorce coach. She had some great advice as well, didn't she? And I mean, she actually recommends a dating app in the end. But yeah, <laughs> she did. The great thing about Sarah or Sarah is she's very practical. So actually, there's, you know, there's a lot of stuff out, out there. You know, she has workbooks and ways, you know, if you follow her on Instagram or, you know, she's got a website and things. She's got, it's, it's just very practical things and she'll do things like I went on a divorce retreat so it was sort of I mean god like it was literally like 20 broken hearted oh, no. souls like you know I felt like we should be was on that trip I know exactly I felt like we should be on like a sort of Mike Lee film or something <laughs> went for curry and uh, but she um she would say like well, what do you want in your future? You know, what does that look like? And she, she'd make you spend like 30 minutes thinking, okay, well, in the future, I'd like my kids to be happy and healthy and well-adjusted. I'd like to live here. Would I like a partner? What would that look like? What would I want? And actually that sort of stuff in terms of just changing your mindset is massive. 
Whereas if you go to a mate and spend 30 minutes just sort of slagging them off and saying, well, they're going to regret it and this and this and this, actually, sometimes you need to do that. Uh, but it's not as, it's not as You go around in circles, really, aren't you? Yeah. I think Sarah's very good advice is not to shag the gardener or a yeah. school dad. <laughs> Don't shag the school dad. That is going to come back and bite you. No, she is, I know she is brilliant on that. And uh, I think also there's, there is an element of that. I mean, if we do it, if we do another dating one, which I think would be good, there's all kinds of like, you know, when you first get into that world, good advice to sort of stop it going Pete Tong. Oh, yeah, we have to do that. We've got to do that. Yeah. Um, I did notice, well, you do have quite a few celebrity friends. Tell us about the heartbreak smoothie and why having food is so important when you're in the middle of a heartbreak. I feel like either you're someone who's like that high anxiety you can't eat. And I just could not. Well, when it was all going wrong, with my, so when my husband, there was obviously this sort of period of time, well, not obviously, but there was a period of time for maybe four or five months where we were trying to make it work. In reality, I think he totally left. So it was only really me trying to make it work. And that was just, I, I was so anxious and I just couldn't eat anything. You know, I couldn't. And I think I'm like normally 10 stone and I was eight stone. I couldn't even, like I couldn't get into the bath. The bones on my back would be sticking out too much. Even my pants, like I put on my underwear and they'd fall straight down it was just horrendous so I think what happens then is you you're anxious and then you're not getting any nutrients and you're not eating properly so then the anxiety is kind of like ramped up because your body's in a natural state of kind of fight or flight you know at that point so to kind of break the cycle and eat well I think is another one of those marginal gains that is going to make you feel better. Sorry, that was a good way of looking at it, a marginal gain, just incrementally moving forward positively. Exactly. And I just think, you know, that could be, okay, I'm going to eat some fruit and veg today and I'm going to try and sit down three times a day and do that. And I think on the flip side, if you're a comfort eater, you're going to eat and feel good in the moment, but then long-term, it doesn't make you feel good. So it's, again, about sort of, when you can, putting those boundaries in place. And we know that it's tough, but actually every day something moving forward. And the heartbreak smoothie was Bobby Brown. And she he was saying that in, she's Jewish and in their culture, it's about, you know, taking food around. And, and I was so touched by the amount of people that did bring food around. And it's just such a classic offering of like, here we are, we care. And actually for the children, it was incredibly useful because they needed feeding, you know. So actually... To not have to make that dish and to give them something warm and nourishing was brilliant. You have good friends. You really do. But it is a bit like bereavement, isn't it? So it's the same as if, well, maybe it's as hard or it's as different. But the other emotion that you can use is anger. I mean, to quote Ivana Trump from First Wives Club, don't get mad, get everything. So channeling elegantly (laughs) without screaming and throwing all of the clothes out the wardrobe and stuff so fury is like a a positive energy I guess you could channel yeah I think it is and I think there's an idea that fury is good because it puts your boundaries in place and I was definitely lacking some boundaries I was so desperate to make it work and I'd so eroded my boundaries in terms of what I would do and what I would accept. I remember going to the marriage counsellor and she was saying, well, I think should we all agree that he can stay in London two nights a week? And I was like, uh, okay. You know, and so, so there was kind of, 
there was stuff wherein the old me would have said, what are you talking about? Like, why is, you, you know, you can't, that's like, but it's so broken and you're, it becomes so distorted. And I think anger is like, no, that is not okay. So it's almost like helping. And I think also somebody was saying it's a bit like sort of fertilized when you kind of burn things to the, to the ground, it's kind of, it allows the new stuff to come through. But I was lacking in anger and still am a bit, I think because as females we're often taught that anger is not an attractive quality you know and so and also I think because I was so I was so eroded and so broken I couldn't summon that so he 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 had the monopoly on the anger so it was so weird I was like I I feel like I should be the angry one here but I'm not you know everything that I thought would be true about heartbreak for me, didn't turn out that way. So that's what was very confusing to me. I was like, how are you angry? But then I thought, well, actually, you know, maybe I've done everything wrong in my life up till this point, because what I thought was certain and normal isn't. So, you know, it really does mess with your head, that that kind of breakup, I think. Doesn't it, though? I mean, how long do you think it was before you really started to feeling a uh, or maybe you don't. Maybe you just you just live with it. It just becomes a part of you, part of your your tapestry of your soul is that you're you were damaged emotionally and you move on in in some way. I mean, how long do you think for you that process took? Is it? I love that expression, the tapestry of the soul. I love that. I made it oh, um, that's good, isn't it? Yeah, that's I really like that it down. Down. It could be on a T-shirt, <laughs> yeah, get that right? down. <laughs> um, I think you're right in that I don't think it ever would leave you because I think I'm um, – always with my new partner sort of thinking okay well I sort of have to check myself sometimes say well hang on why is that pressing my buttons you know like as in and try and get to the root of it rather than react to it so I think it will always be there but I now actually ironically understand more about relationship why people act a certain way and why I act a certain way in terms of very practically I think there's three months where you just feel horrendous and you know you just have to slog through those I wrote a piece recently about how when I went to the GP she gave me antidepressants which massively helped me and I know that different people feel differently about it but for me they helped me get through so after I'd taken those for about a month it did stabilize me and and she had she said and I think this is true that it stopped the kind of negative spiral so and it helped me to see things more clearly it helped me to sleep and that meant that I could get more perspective on things and then you know it's funny because now I sort of I quite often go for a walk with my breakup buddies my friend do go through a split at the same time I think oh well we're in such a better place than we were this time last year and we've said that for like the past four years and it's true you know but I think I'd say it's been what four and a half years and I'd say for the last year and a half a year I don't I don't have that sinking feeling anymore you know I don't have that kind of untethered that sort of feeling of just of really sort of spinning. I don't have that anymore. I do feel much more content. My life's not like it was when I was married, where I just felt certain and part of a team. And I don't feel that kind of sense of security, but actually in its place, I have other things that that totally compensate for that. To sort of round this out, weird question in a way, but are there any positives that you have got from Breaking up with your husband. I was going to ask Oh my God, there's so many positives. There's so many positives, actually. I feel actually that I, and it's hard for me to uh, untangle some of it from, from, you know, the sort of the hard yards of motherhood, you know, not that I don't love my children. I deeply, deeply do. But, you know, when they're small kids and you're just running around and totally frazzled. So I feel like I found, I found a lot of me again. And I feel like I've 
doing the research for the book and interviewing those people, I feel like I understand so much more about human behaviour. I mean, so getting together with someone new is like amazing because I've never, you know, I'd never had that. I never, I got together with my husband when I was like 18 and that was obviously fun and brilliant, but I, I'd never had a relationship, a new relationship as a grown up. So that is just really good. And you know what you want now. I know what I want. And also I was so nervous at 18, you know, I mean, my sexual experience was very low. I was, you know, it was all about kind of posturing and and faking it and all that (laughs) sort of stuff. So I think that is a true bonus. And I feel like in terms of you know, career-wise, when I first started, I really love working on fashion magazines. I love the writing. I love the thing. And it's been amazing to help people because they've helped me, I've helped them. But actually, it's a it's a very nice thing to help people. It gives you a sort of sense of purpose. Yeah. Well, I mean, looking at you now, you're you're glowing and you seem really happy and you you give off extremely positive vibes. That has been really brilliant and helpful. Not to me, personally, because I'm... <laughs> I'm all right. You know, thank you very much. Thank you very much. But you know, I think it is helpful in terms. Sometimes, I mean, you are, I, I know that you won't. It, but I wrote a piece about the lessons we could all learn. So you know, our, my lessons, so divorce lessons, so you don't get divorced. I read yeah. that this morning. Do you know, I went upstairs. I always make a cup of coffee for my husband, but this time I popped back in bed, stroked his hair because I thought I used oh, to do that. And yes. It, it, I, and all it literally that really resonated with me that because you do just forget. Points. Yeah, you need stuff. those connection, but it is so easy especially when you've been together for a long time just to forget to make an effort actually or to I don't know what they call it actively listen and things like that yes exactly and actively talk about all those things that you really don't talk about like sex being one of them and I do think it's interesting the research I've done into infidelity is I I, you guys probably more wise than me but I think I always assume that they're going to go off with someone because they really fancy them because they're hotter or younger or you know all of the above and actually the general thing is that it's because they feel undervalued or they don't feel loved themselves you know so I think it that to me was a real learning a real learning curve and actually it it sort of helps in the whole rejection thing because you realize that they've obviously been feeling rejected for years Well, can I quote back a fun fact that you mentioned in the book, which is a study by Baylor College of Medicine claimed that of the men they studied who died during sex, 93% were thought to have been engaging in extramarital affairs. So boo-hoo, you lot. (laughs) You had it coming. (laughs) Exactly. I know. So that's, yeah, exactly. That's divine intervention. Isn't it though? Uh, Rosie, thank you so much for being our guest today. It's been absolutely delightful to talk to you. Oh, well, thank you very much. It's been delightful for me. And yes, please, we need to do a whole dating series. Yes, please. That'd be entertaining. Oh, that was a really good talk. She lovely. I thought I'd really good lunch with her any day of the week. (laughs) You've got lots of new friends now, haven't you? Yes, lots of new friends. Celeb friends. (laughs) Um, I forgot to mention when we were on there, but she has a really great website that's full of resources and sort of community, and it's called lifesrosy.co.uk. Yeah, I had a good look at that. It was it was. as I said, you know, when we're speaking to her, there is one good article which we're going to reproduce on our website. There's just one, is there? <laughs> one that was relevant to me uh-huh. because I'm not divorced, which was about, you know, what she learned from her divorce, which was those little pointers that, you know, perhaps we should be a little bit nicer to our partners what? sometimes. Sort we should listen to them. Daily connection. Make a bit of effort, not mm. be in your pyjamas all the time, but mm. do your nails as she looks with her scruffy nails. <laughs> and and yeah, I thought that was really true because we do let ourselves go sometimes. 
Speak for yourself. It's copying. And you're, oh, I'm what gear we've been in all day. You're, yeah, so maybe I'm still in Pilates gear from Since about eight o'clock. hours ago. <laughs> exactly. No, but it, it's just true that we perhaps get a bit complacent, don't we, with our partners. And that I think that's what she mentions in this, that, you know, yes, you can't change lots of things, but you can change a few of them. So do check out our website, www.twowomenchatting.com. Just the two W's, is it? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, because there's only two of us. <laughs> so special, are you still thinking Weight Watchers? Is that what you're thinking? <laughs> I am. Yeah, so it's www.twomenchatting.com and www for Weight Watchers. <laughs> we'll be back next week. Thanks for listening to Two Women Chatting with our special guests. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to us if you left a rating and review. Even better, share with your friends. And please get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. There's a link on our Instagram bio and Facebook pages.